welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who is a fan of the follicular density on Mikel Arteta's head. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. I'm a fan. I'm in awe of it. I'm jealous of it. I am many things about what Mikel Arteta has going on on top of his head. <laughs> I only know this because I saw your tweets during the game. I mean, it, it really, like, I was just looking at him and I was like, what is it about him that makes him look even more intense than just his eyebrows and it's the density of the hair it really is to the point where my wife walked by she also commented on it i think it was mostly because it was a shot of arteta and guardiola in the same frame and maybe it made it stand out that much more these are two of the sort of best dressed most uh refined looking coaches at least in the premier league uh, they are. I'm going to do a deep cut here for you that you you haven't watched Narcos, but one of the things that the uh, Vagnamora, the actor who plays Pablo Escobar, one of his like little character nuances is that Pablo Escobar is always hiking up his pants at every given moment. Uh, <laughs> and Pep Guardiola was doing that a lot today. I did notice this as well. No belt on Pep Guardiola. That's why you wear the belt. That's why we should go back to grip six maybe for Pep Guardiola so that his pants <laughs> stay up. And that's one less thing he has to worry about. Maybe that would have been the difference maker today. So we are going to review the FA Cup semi-final. It was Arsenal's 2-0 win over Manchester City or Mikel Arteta's 2-0 win Mm -hmm. over his mentor, Pep Guardiola, because I think this really was a tactical win. We'll get into the details of that. We'll get into the details of both Aubameyang goals. Mm -hmm. Before we get into it, though, Taylor, I want to congratulate two other teams who both wear white. So... Congrats to Real Madrid on winning La Liga because it didn't look that likely before before La Liga came back it that sure Real Madrid would win it um, as comfortably of the, as they have in mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, um, no, so no one expected Real. the wheels to... I don't know if they literally came off, but it feels correct to say that they literally came off of Barcelona's season. Uh, and yeah. yeah, and then Real Madrid capitalized. So well done to Real Madrid. Yeah, maybe Sergio Des doesn't need to go. Um, and then <laughs> congrats to Leeds United as well, because we are going to have Marcelo Bielsa coaching Leeds in the Premier League next year, provided nothing dramatic happens in the next couple of months. Yes, uh, and I am very excited for it. Under Herrera is excited for it. He he took to social media to be pumped about Marcelo Bielsa. I, I, I knew he had that level of like... Uh, sort of influence uh, and like love from certain players, but it's cool to see how many people are into him being in the Premier League, and maybe that also means that Leeds's uh, player acquisition will be that much easier. I I can't think of a weirder um, on paper, mm-hmm. and when I first heard it, just a weirder match of coach and club. It just never it never really made sense, and yet it seems perfect, right? Yeah. You've seen all the footage of Bielsa like doing his shopping in the local supermarket <laughs> in Leeds and uh, the fans outside his house after, yep. after this um, after promotion was confirmed. It's such a sort of odd but perfect marriage. Which one is stranger to you, Bielsa managing Leeds or Ancelotti managing Everton? Yes. <laughs> That is correct. Well done, sir. Uh, Four points to Daryl Grove in the random quiz show of the day. <laughs> and it, it will honestly make the Premier League just a bit more glamorous next year. And that's only because Leeds, for those who don't know, have such a big history, right? It, it was, what, nearly 20 years ago, uh, less than 20 years ago, they were in the Champions League semifinals. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, you know, league winners back in the 70s, league winners in the 90s. This is a big, big, big team. And games like Leeds-Liverpool, Leeds-Man United, these have, you know, a history, especially Leeds-Man United, right? Yep. It's almost a, it's basically a derby. It's so War of the Roses, right? That will be back. Yes, yes. So That's why they wear white and why Man United wear red. There you go. So all that to look forward to. and then it, But it won't be like a gritty Leeds team, like the sort that we think about. Yeah. It'll be a Bielsa Leeds team, which is just marvellous. Just marvellous. Yeah, Billy Bremner, is it? It's probably rolling in his grave because they're not playing <laughs> shin-kicking football. <laughs> He's slide tackling in his grave. <laughs> just angrily kicking it, things, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, should we get to Arsenal-Manchester City? Yeah. Um, oh, and later in today's show, we'll be looking at the two Friday NWSL quarterfinals, mm-hmm. right? North Carolina Courage versus Portland Thorns goalkeeper um, and <laughs> Houston Dash versus Utah Royals. Yep. One, of those game, one of those games was more pleasurable to watch than the other. We'll get into all that in the second half of this show. I look forward to it. And then we'll be uh, reviewing the Spirits uh, loss to the uh, Sky, to Sky Blue FC. There is no uh, the there attached. We'll be getting to that one uh, tomorrow's show, even though that happened today. But we were focused on the other two. I'm ready to talk about those but I'm ready to talk about City versus Arsenal if you are Mr. Grove. All right, so yeah, Wembley Stadium, FA mm-hmm. Cup semi-final, Arsenal 2, Manchester City 0. Goals from Aubameyang in the 19th and 71st minutes. 71% possession for Manchester City, which leaves 29% 
for Arsenal. Yes. And weird to say, with that said, pretty much how Arteta drew it up is what I'm guessing. I Yeah, I'm really confident. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to talk about here, right? So let's, ju- let's get straight into it. Here's what I saw. And correct me if you disagree or have any- anything to add or anything like that. Um, I saw Arsenal defending in a sort of 5-2-3 yep. shape, right? Mm-hmm. With the top three being left to right. Aubameyang, um, then Lacazette in the middle and Pepe on the right. Yep. But the really key thing, I think, is that for the majority of the game, Arsenal's front three refused to engage with Manchester City's centre-backs. Yep. Which sort of, it's really telling because we know that uh, Guardiola loves his centre-backs to engage a striker when they're bringing the ball out, commit them and then exploit the space behind them, right? Arteta's asking his Arsenal defenders to do the exact same thing. So Arteta's just gone to play against Guardiola and thought, I know what Guardiola likes. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing I like. We're just not ever going to do it. Yeah, and that's not to say then that if you miss this game that like Arsenal sat deep and bunkered. No, no, this was over the halfway line. Exactly. It was just sort of like basically inviting Man City to go ahead and try to pass it out, but we have this sort of wall in front of you that we're not going to step forward and then open up space behind us. So you can move it laterally if you want to. Eventually, you're going to have to basically force it long or try to play through, and that's not going to work. And that is kind of what happened. And then as the game went on, I think they were more content to drop off a little bit, which is understandable when Man City are going at you full force in the 70th minute or so. But then that's how they get that second goal. So there you go. And to go another layer deeper, I think here's what the player instructions were. I think Lacazette, the centre forward, was told, again, don't mess with Laporte and yep. Garcia, unless they sort of make a mistake and then you can maybe go and press them. But mostly don't mess with those guys. Mark Gundogan, who's mm-hmm. the like central midfield pivot player, and just block the ball going into him, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the right, Pepe was told, block off any passes out to the left back, Mendy. And on the left, Aubameyang was told, block off any passes out to the right back, Kyle Walker, mm-hmm. right? Which then leaves Sabayas and Shaka free to mark Kevin De Bruyne and who's the other central midfielder? David Silva yep. for most of the game, right? And the, the only like way Man City I saw trying to get around this was they would drop Kevin De Bruyne all the way back deep to come and collect the ball because mm-hmm. Gundogan was unavailable. And I think one of the key things, the reason I mention this, a key thing is that then the Arsenal midfielder wouldn't really go with Kevin De Bruyne because they refused to be dragged out of position, right? And then what you had is the same thing you mentioned is you either have the centre-backs trying to force balls or you have Kevin De Bruyne from deep trying to force balls and even Kevin De Bruyne's passes were getting picked off. Yeah, and I think with that in mind, a 2-0 win over Man City will obviously excite Arsenal fans. I think the way they went about winning this game should be the most exciting thing because that is not an easy thing to do, both to convey tactically as a manager, but then to execute properly and almost every single time as a player. And you would be forgiven for thinking, oh, Kevin De Bruyne is dropping, he's going to be on the ball, I need to go with him. And it takes a lot of discipline to make sure that you yeah. stay where you are and not get sucked in because as soon as you vacate that space Man City are good enough to put somebody in there and now you've kind of broken down that whole system and I think uh, a lot of cred- credit to Aubameyang and Pepe as you mentioned for kind of blocking off those fullbacks but then if say it did Man City played it over to the right side to Kyle Walker you'd have Pepe really tuck inside and be almost another central midfielder so that you didn't have the numbers there so they couldn't play through. As soon as that ball is switched, he moves over to the exact space he needs to be in. Aubameyang then tucks in. And it's simple things, but done consistently and successfully against an opponent like Manchester City is incredibly impressive, in my opinion. So we seem to be both crediting Arsenal's defensive setup Mm -hmm. with with, uh, being the thing that Manchester City were unable to break down. I'm not sure if this is something really new that Arteta has come up with and maybe he knows Guardiola so well because, you know, for those who don't know, he's worked with Guardiola for years before mm-hmm. moving to take the Arsenal job, right? He was basically the assistant coach at Manchester City. Um, is it that, that, um, that Arteta just had the magic defensive formula because he knew how to count? He knows Guardiola so well, he knew how to counteract it. Or is there just a Manchester City failing here? What, was there some failing of imagination on Manchester City's part? I mean, the inclination is to say it's probably both of those things. And when one Things can't team... be two things. Everyone knows that. <laughs> but I would say I think it's probably more Arsenal getting it right. And Man City okay. kind of failing to then figure out a solution. And we saw Pep Guardiola during the hydration break really going at his players and I think was frustrated with their lack of intensity. But Putting I don't think... Up. 
Yeah, well, that was the problem, is he would get so animated uh, that then he had to focus on the jeans, and maybe he lost his train of thought. Maybe that was the moment when he was going to be like, but here's what we do. Wait, i got to pull my pants up. What was I saying? And then you got to go back on the field. Um, but I think, like, as an example of where Arteta, I think, made some little adjustments, like, that back three, I think, was a genius move because it allows David Luiz to do more of what David Luiz does and why he continues to be in that squad in Arteta's plans. Because though the goal is itself incredibly impressive I think the one in the 16th minute that Aubameyang should probably have finished and doesn't yeah. is the one that is Arteta probably has to have seen that and been like that is my thesis statement right there because it's <laughs> that forward line as you said not engaging but there's no real options for Manchester City so they have to go long they don't try to go over the top they go into that kind of mid-range ball that David Luiz can step out and win because he has uh who's it Mustafi and Kieran Tierney to kind yeah. of drop in and police behind him in case something goes wrong but then when he wins it <laughs> also, also David Luiz just loves a gamble right? well there's that too <laughs> but I guess that's what I mean is like but if you have two other center backs there you can gamble a little bit more and here he wins that ball and then this is the thing that you Daryl have constantly or at least consistently praised is his ball playing ability and yeah. in this case I mean he basically threads the needle into Aubameyang like really really quickly and it sort of breaks Man, Man City apart it should have been 1-0 it's not but it is three minutes later so I doubt Aubameyang yeah. is too bummed about it but just that moment I was like okay, I think Arsenal are going to do this. Like from that moment on, it felt like they have set up and it's up to Man City to try to figure out a way to deal with it. And obviously they did not. The other thing I think I noticed from Arsenal when they did have the ball, they sort of went away from the back five and everybody, it's almost like they had a different formation for when they had the ball. Did you you see the same thing? Yeah. Um, I saw, it actually becomes a back three again because Ceballos would drop in between Mm. Mustafi Mustafi and Luiz. But then... um, uh, Kieran Tierney, who was who was the left centre back, would become sort of the left left wing back, mm-hmm. and then Ashley Maitland-Niles would sort of drift into central midfield. So it was almost like they had two formations. It was like a a five two three when they were defending high up the field. They drop into a five four one if Manchester City managed to get forward, right? But then when they got the ball, they they morph into this weird three four three. And it's not it's not a weird shape, but it's mm-hmm. weird how they did it, right? Because you end up with Tierney and Ashley Maitland Niles in completely different positions to where they're playing defensively. Uh, two things there. One is Ashley Maitland Niles Ainsley Maitland Niles's brother. Why am I calling him Ashley instead of Ainsley? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but two, I did see that. And I think uh, if, since, Daryl, you, you saw some of my social media postings, uh, I was sort of surprised by Danny Ceballos early on in this game because he has been a midfielder for Arsenal that I have really enjoyed. Not being an Arsenal fan, I just think he's done a lot for them and I think he's become a very important player to them. And yet two, maybe three times in the opening 12 minutes or so, he gets caught in possession and just looks very slow on the ball. And I think it's because he was a little bit more advanced in the opening minutes. And you can see him not being quite as sure where to play or he doesn't have the options that he thinks he should in the moment he needs them. And so it's somewhat him being slow, somewhat him maybe not having the options on when he wants them. And I think that's another adjustment is I think then he does start to sit in a bit more and always has those two center backs but can drop it back to the goalkeeper if he needs to. And suddenly the rhythm starts going and that is where that first goal comes from it's him being a bit more central and dropping in a little bit more and they're able to completely play their way out of man city's press and as you know once you can kind of break that a little bit the options are on and it sort of dominoes from there or snowballs from there is a better way to put it into what is the opening goal (laughs) snowballs made of dominoes yeah so let's talk about this the most um, terrifying kind this uh obama yang 19th minute goal it is, yeah, exactly what you talked about, right? Where Arsenal were determined to play out of the back. And I think that obviously tempts Manchester City very, very far forward. Mm-hmm. And they'd had a little bit of luck early on, right? Where they'd sort of won a couple of balls. I think Mustafi had coughed one up to Raheem Sterling and Manchester City might have scored not long before this goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this, they successfully play out through what Sabias and Luis, um, and get it out to the left side. And they've stretched Manchester City out at this point, right? Yep. So this is, it's really, really working here. Um, I want to say it's David Luiz who carries it up the left a little bit, you but then finds Tierney out on at wide left. Like mm-hmm. Tierney is doing his like, left wing back thing, and Mister Maitland Niles is what I'm going to call him from now on <laughs> until I'm confident in his first name. He doesn't get involved, but he's dropped into central midfield that, yeah. that role, right? Mm-hmm. And then I want to say it's 
Tierney, I'm half describing this for listeners and half double checking it with you. Um, I want to say it's Tierney then plays it low into Lacazette, who does like a good back to goal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lacazette lays it off to Bayerin, who's advanced down the right. This is Arsenal's right back become like right winger. Yep. Um, and then it's what, Bayerin and Pepe down yep. the right. Pepe bends it in and Aubameyang arrives at the far post to score. Did yes. I get all that right? You did. And I think yeah. within there, a couple points I would make is just that for the... Um, the calmness of the build out and it is like um, like the one that I really liked I think it's Martinez plays it to Ceballos and it's like two Man City players on he splits them but it's still a pass to like eight yards from their own goal and it's mm-hmm. and it's just that sort of like oh this is gambling this is gambling and then Ceballos plays it out wide and suddenly Arsenal are on and it's a lot of like delicate passing in there but very precise and at the exact moment that it's on is when it's 20 and 30 yard balls and vertical and aggressive and that's again how you ha- how you break a press and then counterattack is once you've opened up some space you play it into that space now they have to try to collapse on that and if you play it quickly out of that space and again vertically that threat gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it ends in sort of everybody being pulled out of position and a little bit of chaos and I think it's not certainly not hurt by a pinpoint ball from uh, Pepe <laughs> to that back post and it's a great finish by Yang, but it's a great team goal from start to finish it is it is um, it's worth noting though that by the time Pepe bends that cross in Manchester City do have their entire back mm-hmm. four back, right? Yep. Like Pepe is up against Mendy, the left back. The two centre-backs are there. I want to say at least Gundogan is there at the top of the box. And Kyle Walker knows where Obama Yang is. Yep. How does Kyle Walker lose Obama Yang? Or to put it another way, how does Obama Yang lose Kyle Walker? I mean, I, there's an argument that maybe Pepe knows, like, to put it in that exact spot. He he weights it properly. He puts enough, like, height on it. But there is also something to be said for, and we've been in this position, where if you drop in and you're sort of transitioning into defense as quickly as you can, there's a difference between having your back four back and having your back four back and also knowing what's going on. And it okay. can be that thing of, like, <laughs> I've got to sprint back because I'm the right back and I know where I need to be. Okay, I've gotten where I need. Oh, he's got the ball and he scored. Like, there, it can be, there's a big difference difference there between being in the position and being in the position to then be able to proactively defend. So you're saying Walker wasn't set, essentially. He's yeah. been like scrambling back a little bit, mm-hmm. so he's still he's still figuring it out, essentially. That would be my argument, yes. Yeah. I like the finish from Obama Yang as oh, well, yeah. right? He goes, it feels like it should be a left-footed volley the way mm-hmm. it comes at him, but instead he sticks out the outside of his right foot to yep. put it um, back across Ederson. Was that like cleverness to trick Ederson, or was that just improvisation in the moment that the second one it's yeah. i mean and and that's born of being a predatory striker and knowing in that like half second it's instinct it really is of just knowing i'm not going to be able to put this ball on frame with my left foot the way i want to i'm going to get better control with the outside of my right to put it back where it needs to go like you can process all of that in super fast time and i think that's exactly what he does so it is it is improvisation but it's born of sort of repetition and awareness of exactly how you need to hit that ball is there, a, is there an argument to be made that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is much, much better from a wide angle than from running straight at goal? And I'll, I, the evidence I would submit is that ball from David Luiz that yeah. puts Aubameyang one-on-one with Ederson. And then all his goals for Dortmund seem to be mm-hmm. him attacking the goal from like a really like wide angle. Is that an obtuse angle? I'm not sure what my angles are called. But you know what I'm saying? Like He seems better coming at it from an yeah. angle. I mean, there's. I think there is something to be said for any time a striker has time to think, it's not necessarily ideal. And if you are aware that you're in on goal and like, oh, what a great pass, I better not mess this up. As soon as you're thinking, I better not mess this up. I think I always equate it to like walking down the aisle of your wedding day and being like, worst case scenario, I get divorced. Like you're already <laughs> sort of not like fully focused on, on what you need to be doing and what your responsibilities are. Whereas I think that ball from Pepe, that is more instinct. I think it's more you don't have have time to think you just have to trust yourself to execute and i think there he does that might be an oversimplification but that's the best way i can understand yeah, it is if you have right. that time to think like oh here or there uh then yeah you and you've got a person staring mm-hmm. at you and coming out and the angle is slowly narrowing yeah, yeah i can see how that that affects your thought process whereas if it's just like hey it's it's landing let's yeah. go and that said the second goal is a little Ooh. bit more direct but we can talk about that second goal in a moment because daryl should we talk about today's sponsor first we absolutely should. Right. Today's show is sponsored by Artifact. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard us talk about it in the last couple of weeks. I have not. Artifact makes 
personal podcasts about whatever you want to make your personal podcast mm-hmm. about. It can be about that time you started a podcast. It can be <laughs> about that time you had cancer. It can be about anything in your life that you want. Um, Artifact will help you create an audio record of something important in your life. It would be odd if those are the only two things that you were allowed to like commission an artifact <laughs> for. I think it'd be a very limited audience base at that point. <laughs> if you want to hear ours, you can go to heyartifact.com slash lowercase TSS. And it's like a 25 minute um, artifact about how the Total Soccer Show got started um, and then what happened next. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear the one about cancer, there's heyartifact.com slash Daryl. It's me and my wife talking about like the journey of the last year and a half mm-hmm. um it's not something i thought i would be all that comfortable talking about for an extended period of time and telling the whole story uh but the team at artifact um it was george Koresh who spoke to us uh, made it really really easy mm-hmm. um and obviously the the cancer one is kind of theoretically harder to talk about i would also say you and i talking about total soccer show taylor mm-hmm. we can get a little awkward talking about it right oh absolutely i'm yeah. not yeah, I don't love like telling because it's just like at the end of the day, my, my thought process is always like no one wants to, hear, no one cares. Like so, it, it's hard to <laughs> answer questions about like what was your first episode like. I mean, like I don't do I don't know. Do people care enough? Like, I don't know about this. And I think yeah, maybe that's humility. Maybe that maybe that's self doubt. I have it if anyone wants to hear it. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you indeed. Uh, but yeah, I think, and that's where I think George did a really good job. I do think it, like, I always equate it with like difficult things or awkward things to me are a bit like climbing a mountain. And just beginning the process is sort of getting to that mountain. And then once you're going, I think it is a little bit easier. And I, yeah, the idea of like recording an hour long thing or a 45 minute thing about us, like, ah, that's, that's a lot. But then it is as soon as you're sort of going and flowing into it and the questions are very good and helpful. It is a, a much more enjoyable experience, and then I do think something that I, I enjoyed getting something out of, and I really enjoyed your episode as well because it's it's insight in an like informative, straightforward way. Uh, whereas I would probably be very emotional if we had that conversation, you and I. <laughs> we, that was a point I made when I recorded the Artifact ad on uh, the episode of Allocation Disorder mm-hmm. on on Friday, was that you and I could theoretically have made an Artifact type thing about the total soccer show story mm. ourselves right yeah um but having someone else do it like literally george scheduled the interview asked the questions recorded our answers then edited it down into what he mm. thought i think correctly hearing it back what he thought was the key the key parts of it adding nice bits of music yeah. taking out the bits that weren't that weren't worth hearing basically um having someone else do all that makes it makes a big difference right it makes it worthwhile even though theoretically we could have done it ourselves so essentially this is the point of artifact is they do all the work for you they arrange it arrange it for you record it for you edit it for you and deliver the final thing so one more time if you want to hear the one about the tss origin story that's at heyartifact.com slash tss and then when you're ready to make your own uh you can use the code tss to get 40 dollars off at heyartifact.com there it is. HeyArtifact.com. TSS gets you $40 off. Thank you very much to Artifact for sponsoring this episode. Thank you very much to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, if you're an yeah. Arsenal fan, for uh, sealing this one with that second goal. Well, before we talk about the second goal, Taylor, since Fine. we're doing this somewhat chronologically, mm-hmm. did you expect major changes from Manchester City at halftime? D- what do you mean, specifically? Because I remember seeing Guardiola and his essential, essentially Arteta's replacement mm-hmm. as assistant coach and chief confidant having a really animated, animated conversation mm-hmm. just before half time. Yeah. Right. A lot of uh, hand movements that I assume related to player movements and rotations and things like that. So I expected that when City came out in the second half, there might be something completely different happening. Maybe a substitution, um, especially with all the five subs that you can use, right? Um, and maybe like someone's positioning might have been changed. From what I could tell, Manchester City from the 46th minute were identical to the Manchester City in the first half. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of maybe what we were seeing there in, I think there's two different shots of that sort of meeting of the minds is what the commentators called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe a lot of that was indicating that there was a lack of sharpness. There was a lack of precision. And I think there was some of that gesturing was like, he's supposed to be here, but he's here and he's supposed to be there, but he's not there. And maybe that's what they were trying to fine tune. And that's where like major changes weren't necessary. But I think what we consistently saw was him trying to get Man City going faster to kind of G them up to get them ready to like fight and battle and find a way to win and I think maybe his experience or perspective was 
what we're doing is fine. We're just not executing the way we need to. So I'm not going to change things up drastically from a tactical standpoint, at least not at halftime. But I am going to demand that my players execute better. And to some extent, I think Mikel Arteta probably anticipated that and does probably know Pep Guardiola well enough to to at least know some of his frustrations and at least be able to hear him on the sidelines more clearly since there's no <laughs> crowd there. So maybe he's also able to anticipate a bit more what was going to happen or what didn't happen in this case. I've actually, I've just remembered that the assistant coach Guardiola was talking to is the, a new guy that's come in called Juan Malillo, mm-hmm. who is sort of one of the famous um, adopters of positional play. Right, So this whole thing that Guardiola's into, Juan Malielo is one of the world experts in that style of football. So He's that conversation a, was probably fascinating. Also an expert in the wearing of, of, of tiny tight shiny pants, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did get distracted by that momentarily. I was like, why are his warm-ups so tight and so shiny? They look <laughs> a little bit like he's wearing like uh, leather pants, and I was into it. I don't think that's what he was wearing. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> no. It'd be... Uh, uh, temperate is I guess what I'll say if that were the choice yeah so to, to sum up you think what they were talking about and what was mm. said at halftime for Manchester City wasn't hey here's a new approach that we need to try it was do do plan A better yeah I mean again like I am not trying to equate our experience running an amateur soccer team with Pep Guardiola he has a little bit more high high end high profile experience <laughs> but just that like you and I have done that before in game or on the sideline of like he's supposed to be here but he's not being there and like right and if he's not there then he needs and like we've sort of done that sort of direction and I think yeah it's a, it, there is an element of like yeah he needs to be making that overlap right he needs to be making that overlap and kind of having that conversation about the little deficiencies they're seeing that if they tighten up because I also don't think in this game Pep Guardiola maybe thought wholesale changes needed. I've got to change up my, my structure fundamentally because I'm also not sure that's a thing he necessarily loves to do in the first place. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, personally, in hindsight, I would have maybe switched out Gundogan yeah. for uh, maybe uh, Rodri, bring him in mm-hmm. earlier, or Fernandinho back in the old defensive midfield spot. I kind of I know that La- we talked about Lacazette's job being to close down Gundogan, but I would argue that even when Gundogan did get the ball, he didn't manage to uh, find many... Um, penetrating passes and I know it's because that's how Arsenal set up I always think like someone like Fernandinho or Rodri might have found a way you could have even like really rolled the dice and like put Kevin De Bruyne in that position (laughs) like basically been like Oh, if he was having to come back anyway, then yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. And then and then you put in another creative midfielder who can sort of move around and operate in space. And it is like I think Gundogan like wasn't as good as dynamic as maybe you need him to be on the ball when Lacazette is doing a mostly decent job of man marking him. Yeah. Kevin De Bruyne is a different entity. So too is David Silva. You could have dropped David Silva in there. I, I think maybe that's another way they could have gone to try to get more creativity on the field to just exploit some opportunities that could have then been presented. Should we talk about Obama Yang's got second goal Let's then? Let's do it. 71st minute. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe this is a Manchester City corner kick. Yes. This is Arsenal doing to Manchester City what Manchester City have done to so many before them, right? Yeah. So many teams have had a corner kick against Man City and it ends with usually a Kevin De Bruyne launched counter-attack and a Manchester City goal. In this case, it's a Man City corner kick and it's a Kieran Tierney launched counter-attack with a Pierre Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang goal through the legs of Ederson. And and I want to, first of all, that was ruthless, that goal. It was, right? <laughs> um, and I do want to talk about the finish. I do want to talk about the way Aubameyang gets open and what happens there. But I will also say that like there are things, like people ask us how we watch the game or how we watch things tactically. And one of the things I'm not always great with, but I try to do, is my brain tends to work better than my like conscious brain. And there are moments where I'll be like, that is a thing I've noticed. And then I try to jot that down. One thing that really stood out to me was Man City put the ball in the air a lot more often than I really am used to or expected them to, both from a like clearing the ball long, but even to your point, from corners. Like I feel like we often see them try different things. It'll be like low and driven to the near post on the floor. Maybe they'll hit one to the back post. Then they'll go with a short one. It'll be some kind of pre-planned combination. Yeah. And I felt like Man City were just a lot more direct with some of their approach and a lot more sort of let's just pump it in the box and see what happens and that just stood out to me because contrasting that with what Arsenal did on this goal but throughout the game it it, it is a thing I'm not really used to for Man City and I do wonder if that was a specific thing they were being asked to do or more so a thing that they were forced into but either way in this case it does not work out for them as you already said it does not and I would say um, a commonality between the first goal and the second goal is the risky build-up play Yep. from Arsenal because it's not mm-hmm. just like a straight like from the top of the box go forward counter-attack right it's got a weird headed pass in there from Pepe um, that 
it seems like it risked giving possession back to Manchester City. Yeah. Kind of like when Arsenal were like, you know, building out from their own goal line, essentially, for for the first goal. But it ultimately pays off. Yeah. And and I do wonder then if that's a thing that Mikel Arteta is a bit looser on than maybe Pep Guardiola would be, just because if you're trying to establish a system of, yeah, you got to take some risks, but the more you take those risks, the more confident you feel when they come off, the more likely you are to do it, the more you're likely to trust your instinct, as we've already yeah. talked about with Aubameyang. So even when there are some risky ones that don't come off, or when Ceballos is a little bit lax in the beginning, I do think that maybe Mikel Arteta is more okay with that because he's just trying to get the players to buy into the philosophy. <laughs> don't and they I think call do they call it immersion therapy when you have to really face <laughs> something you're scared of, right? Like go in a yeah. room full of spiders and eventually you're not scared of spiders. Yes. <laughs> I always go with uh, – there's an episode of Scrubs in which JD's girlfriend uh, doesn't laugh at things. She just says, that's so funny. And her <laughs> solution is to make her watch, I think, Fletch. And eventually she'll have to laugh out loud and instead it goes the opposite way and JD just hears her say it all the time and it drives him crazy. So that is my introduction <laughs> to immersion therapy. I'm sure it's most people's as well. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? You just mm-hmm. keep exposing yourself to Manchester City's quite fearsome high press. Yeah. And eventually you get comfortable taking big risks because that's what you need to do to play out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And here they take some risks and those risks pay off, including, again... Aubameyang making a goalkeeper. It's like, I don't want to be too harsh on Ederson because that is the situation of a goalkeeper just coming off his line, trying to close down angles. You're not always going to be aware of exactly where your footing is, which I know sounds like, isn't that all you're supposed to do as a goalkeeper? But we see goalkeepers get five-hold a lot more often than maybe we would realize. It's just that here, it is so calmly finished that it is very clear to me that that is exactly what Aubameyang is aiming for. And it makes it that much more uh, deadly as a result. So Aubameyang like looks because he's coming in from an angle again, yep. right? Which is more support for my theory that he's just much more comfortable and much mm-hmm. more uh, dangerous from an angle. Um, and he, you see him look across, right? Yep. He looks across to see if there's a square ball on. And it's all, for me, it's almost like he's looking around, looking around, and he just sees this giant hole between Ederson's legs, yep. and he's like, "Oh, there it is." <laughs> and were you were you with me on that? Like I watched that and saw him look, and this was in like the super slow motion replay, and was certain I was going to then see Adairson, like, jump over to the left, thinking there was going to be a square ball, and that was why he was suddenly, like, opened up the way he was. Not really the case. He doesn't no. really change his positioning at all. His feet are pretty well set. I think it's just they're a little bit wider apart. Maybe he is just sort of caught in a panicky situation. But either way, I think you're absolutely right that Aubameyang, maybe that's a feint. Maybe he is looking like, do I have to do this? Oh, never mind. I will go ahead and pass <laughs> that right to the goal very calmly. <laughs> I mean, it's like he's playing crazy golf and he figured out the hole, right? <laughs> figured out how to do it. He knows he has been taking geometry classes or trigonometry <laughs> classes. I forget which one it is. Um, I, want to talk I, have, a bit, I have not been taking those classes, obviously. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about um, how Aubameyang gets away from both Kyle Walker and Eric Garcia. Because yeah, it is, it's a marvelous ball from Kieran right? He bends mm-hmm. it like down the left wing around the outside and back into um, Aubameyang's path so he can run at goal. Yeah. Um, but it seems to me that Aubameyang is between two defenders, Walker mm-hmm. and Garcia, and one of them should have gone with him. But they're both sort of uh, caught flat-footed somehow. I think they're both caught flat-footed. You're right. I think both of them are also a little bit focused on the ball. And I think also both of them think that, oh, we're holding the line. He's behind us. He's offside. When you said, I want to talk a little bit about it, I assume that you just wanted me to say Benjamin Mendy and then we'd move on. Is, Me- is it Me- Mendy that holds him on side? It is. Uh, I think it's, Not it's very... Not the first time in this game? I no. noticed Mendy had to, had some trouble with keeping a straight line. And it, even then, if Mendy hadn't been there, it, it would have been a tight decision. I don't know how it would have gone. But he is at least two yards deeper than everybody else. And it is because he's just sort of switched off and I think is paying attention to what's going on the far side of the field. He has actually corrected because he was maybe five yards deeper and has pushed back up but not nearly enough to make it a flat back back line. And that is also, I think, somewhat to blame for why Aubameyang is able to basically look across the field, see a person you're standing level with, and think, well, okay, then I'm on side. And he doesn't really have to worry about it from then on. Okay, so it wasn't that... I thought maybe Walker and Garcia had got confused between them and each thought the other one was picking him up. But mm-hmm. you think maybe they're just trying to... They just think, oh, he's offside, it's fine. I, th- that would be my guess uh but it's also your explanation is equally plausible because we saw man city looking not up to the races on a number of occasions in this game so it could well be both that they didn't track (laughs) him and then also benjamin mendy kept him on side so uh the remainder of this game i know lucas Torreira comes on i know Mm -hmm. rob holding replaces mustafi who gets um injured but we essentially get into arsenal just being sort of camped out in their own in their own box right and just defending for their lives 
and Manchester City not being able to break it down to the point where we have um, Emmerich Laporte taking two shots from the top of the box, thinking he was Vincent Company uh, within <laughs> within a space of like five minutes. Yeah, and with that in mind, can we talk for a moment about Martinez, Arsenal's goalkeeper, replacement goalkeeper at that for yeah. Leno? Uh, Milano Martinez has been a goalkeeper that like watching him play these last couple weeks, I, I don't know where he came from but I also don't know why he's not the starter and I know that uh, Berlano is very good but Martinez has been excellent both in his distribution in his decision making he is the one big save to make that he does pull off in this game and once again I just found myself thinking like he is an exceptionally good goalkeeper and maybe he stays as the backup next season but I think if you're an Arsenal fan that's another reason to feel really confident because I know many people or many fans thought oh, Leno's out for the rest of the season that is not going to be good for us yeah and somehow it ha- it has been good for them in the sense that they now know they have a very capable back- backup goalkeeper who could be a starter if the need uh if need be so Martinez, the, the commentator said that he's been there 10 years, right? And he's only in his 20s, like I think mid to late 20s. Yeah. My guess is he's an Arsenal, um, he was probably in the Arsenal youth system. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's just been he's hanging around loans, waiting for yeah. a chance. He's had some loans, but I think like last year, I believe I'm correct in saying that last season he played more for Arsenal's like Premier League 2 team than he did for Arsenal themselves. Interesting. Yeah. Do you know, okay, I've just, on my phone, I've just he played... He's he played 1,100 minutes for Wolves in 2015. I don't remember him. <laughs> like 13 games. Uh, 13 games, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, they were in the championship, Daryl, before you were a fan. hey <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> kind of funny. Kind of funny. <laughs> um, all right. Mm. I have not much else to add about this game. Do you have anything? No, just that uh, it was a really, really fun game to watch, I think, because Mikel Arteta set his team up right. Uh, and then anytime, basically, it's like Man City are so good that at any moment you expect them to like, oh, and they scored three. So yeah. I think like they're always entertaining from that perspective and to see Arsenal be aggressive in their approach, but simultaneously execute it perfectly. I thought it was just really fun as a neutral. And I'm sure as an Arsenal fan, there are a lot of people out there who are very happy with the way this went down. So Arsenal to the FA Cup final, where yep. they will be playing either Chelsea or Manchester United. So on Sunday, mm-hmm. I, I want to say it's a one o'clock Eastern kickoff. It's on ESPN Plus, just like this game was. Um, it's Chelsea versus Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final. I'm really excited for this, Taylor, because this is two of the most attacking, entertaining teams in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And one of them has an American. And one of them has an American, despite him not featuring in the hype video, as I tweeted it's not okay with that. I will be contacting a lawyer about that. <laughs> was uh, it an FA Cup hype video or a Chelsea hype video? Yeah. It was an FA Cup hype video. And it was like Willian featuring prominently. Kovacic was in there. Olivier Giroud was obviously in there because how do you not get that face in there? But no yeah. Pulisic, unacceptable. Uh, was, it put just, that video together. was it just showing FA Cup footage? That could be. That might be it, right? Don't make excuses, Daryl. Don't make <laughs> excuses for them. Uh, we will also, I have a feeling see where Manchester United's like the downside to them is in that lack of depth because they looked pretty tired in their last game and I'm guessing we'll see some rotation yeah. and I think we'll see less rotation from Chelsea I I if I were a betting man I would bet on Chelsea in this one but that is maybe me unintentionally doing a reverse jinx you never know <laughs> well honestly we obviously most Americans will hope mm-hmm. that Chelsea go through to the FA Cup final right because then we've got uh, Pulisic to to cheer for but Manchester United are just enjoyable to watch so it's it's kind of okay either way right yeah um okay before we move on to talk NWSL mm-hmm. um let's make sure everybody smells good Taylor <laughs> because today's show is sponsored by Hawthorne Hawthorne the company that wants you to smell good I'm going to say this, like in normal times, you want to smell good because you're going to be out and about. I want to smell so good that I'm going to hit my mic, apparently. Like if you're out and in, in polite society, you don't want to be the one that everybody is kind of looking at. Of, like you clearly are not the one that smells good. You're the one who smells the opposite of good. But I would also <laughs> add that in quarantine, like if, like Daryl, I know you, you're, you're at home with your wife. I'm at home with my wife. There's something to be said for needing to smell good when you're around a person for that long in close proximity. It's a thing that you and I have definitely embraced when we're on the road together. I think we both sort of prioritize making sure that neither one of us is uh, stinking it up. And that's where Hawthorne (laughs) can help you because if you're not sure what products will enable you to not stink it up, then they can help you out with the Hawthorne quiz. Yeah, you take the two-minute quiz where I ask you questions about sort of what what type of hair you have, mm-hmm. what type of skin you have, um, what your favorite smells are, all that kind of stuff. You take that two-minute quiz and Hawthorne will recommend products for you. They'll recommend mm-hmm. shampoo, face wash, cologne, 
deodorant. Um, and then you can uh, choose to either buy one or none of each product, whichever appeals to you, or you can buy um, a recurring subscription. So you'll keep getting refills of that product. Uh, one I'm using right now is the shampoo. I've got a nice minty, minty uh, smell after I, after I wash my hair that I, I quite like. I also like their deodorant. They've got a roll-on deodorant that feels very um, substantial in a good way. Humble brag that Daryl has shampoo and deodorant. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you got the free products as well. <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you can check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E uh, with an E, obviously, .co, not .com, hawthorne.co. And you can use the promo code what, Daryl? T-S-S. Oh, I thought it was what, Daryl? Is it T-S-S? Don't try what, Daryl, yes. <laughs> Use the promo code TSS at hawthorne.co and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co. Use the promo code uh, TSS to get 10% off. One more time, it's hawthorne.co. The link will be in the show notes. So you say. So you say. All right, Daryl. Uh, then thank you to Hawthorne for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to the FA Cup for being exciting. Thank you to the NWSL uh, knockout round for being interesting, if not always exciting. I mean, it started off really, really exciting. It did. Right? This uh, North Carolina Courage versus Portland Thorns, easily the mm-hmm. most exciting game of the knockout round so yes. far. Um, it's also the only game that had a goal so far yeah. at the time of recording. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, um, it finished 1-0 to Portland Thorns, which is a huge, huge upset in this first quarter final because yep. North Carolina Courage is the team that can't be beat. They were even, yeah. uh, what, four games, four wins in mm-hmm. this uh, in the NWSL Challenge Cup. I guess we'll call it the group stage, right? Um, yeah. Um, or the classification round. They are the NWSL champions. Two-time reigning. Yep. Two-time back-to-back mm-hmm. champions. Yep. They seem to be unbeatable, but they have never come up against Britt Eckerstrom before. Yeah, and and to be fair, no one has, uh, because this was her first start in the competition. Uh, Bella Bixby went down with an injury in training, I believe a partially torn ACL, not fully torn, but will obviously miss the rest of the tournament and uh, much beyond. And that was Portland Thorns' backup keeper. The first choice keeper is Adriana French, who we've talked Mm -hmm. about, US Women's National Team, uh, at least roster regular, right? So this is Portland Thorns' third choice keeper, Britt Eckerstrom, had the game of her life Mm -hmm. um, as Portland Thorns beat the North Carolina Courage 1-0. It's a Willie Beeman any given Sunday situation, uh, <laughs> except without Jamie Foxx and with Britt Eckerstrom, who comes in, has, I believe, eight registered stops. As Maglenahan wrote, it felt like a thousand. Uh, <laughs> and, and I do also think, to some extent, is at least somewhat responsible for the goal, just because if you're playing a team where it just feels like no matter what we do, and I think there are other reasons why North Carolina could not score, but at a certain point, you do start to get that in your head, and you do start to feel like no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're putting it, she seems to be saving it, we can't get good shots off, we're not getting the goals we normally do, and that frustration builds, and I think frustration can manifest as uh, like fatigue in terms of just getting tired because it's not working, but also that lack of mental sharpness, because once you start to feel like things aren't going our way things aren't working out this isn't how it usually goes you're not as switched on and i think that is exactly why portland are able to get that goal is because really north carolina just switch off in a number of different spots in a number of different moments and it leads to the goal well before we get before we get detailed on the goal taylor sure. i would like to talk about ekstrom's performance Let's and portland's it. defending if mm-hmm. you're if you're into it with me um, one one thing I think they did really well was get numbers in the middle. Yep. Portland, they had the back four, and they usually had three of their central midfielders and most of their strikers clogging the sort of top of the box. Um, and so even though North Carolina, they did the thing that they always do, right? Which is they have this 4-2-2-2 shape, and they have Lynn Williams as like the left forward, and but she really pulls wide like a winger, mm-hmm. right? And then starts to dribble it, um, inside from the outside. Yep. Right. But I think normally when she's doing that, she then, she's then got like, say, normally Jess McDonald, who only came on at half time because of injuries, um, has her other striker to aim for. Or she has Crystal Dunn and Dabinia like crashing the box late. Uh, but I think in this game, there just wasn't space to find anything in the middle. So it really did end up with Lynn Williams taking a lot of shots from very Pierre Emerick Obama Yang angles. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and so not getting exactly the type of looks that she would like to have. And I think not to take anything away from Ekstrom's performance, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the saves were the result of facing strikers from very narrow angles agreed and to double down on your sort of tactical explanation like you could go it was a 4-4-2 diamond 
linemen for Portland. You could go with like almost a 4-3-1-2. Again, this is where formations are sort of meaningless. The gist of it is that, yeah, when you have the back four, then you have three central midfielders who sort of tighten up and keep it compact in the middle. You have Christine Sinclair as the outlet, but then you have those two forwards also dropping in to cover the width and not really allow tons of space out wide. I think it, it limits the effectiveness of that approach from Lynn Williams, as you've already talked about, because in other situations, if she's on 1v1 with a fullback or maybe she's got gotten in behind on that fullback, you're going to have other people kind of trying to get out there to provide cover to help out, but that then opens up space in the middle. And if they don't, then Lynn Williams is more than capable of driving directly at goal and shooting. But I think when you have those numbers central, she can't really do that. And so I think when she, even when she would end up getting those shots, they tended to be from a tighter angle because she had had to go closer to the end line to then cut inside and try to get a shot off or a cross off. Whereas normally she's sort of at goal, like it's a little bit more like Aubameyang for his goal normally, that she's like more central when she's shooting or squaring the pass as opposed to maybe five or six yards further out wide. That's always going to make it harder to get that shot into a dangerous position. So do you want to talk about Weaver's goal? So sure. after, you know, Ekstrom's holding them out, then in the, I want to say, 68th minute, um, we have the goal from Weaver. You you said that um, Ekstrom was somewhat involved in this goal. Did you, did you mean just mean psychologically, basically? Yes, exactly. Yes, because this is, I think it's a North Carolina throw-in, and then Portland sort of reestablished possession, work it around, and they end up obviously scoring. But I, all I meant to say there was just that I think the frustration and mental fatigue is evident here because... Portland keep the ball moving and keep sort of just dropping into the right space at the right moment, exemplified by, I think, like, the pass before the pass before the pass is, like, a little short one that Dabinia almost gets to. Yes. And, and you can just see the the tiredness in her legs that she's not as alive to as she would have been, I think, in the first half and isn't able to just cut it out there. And so many of the passes that lead up to this goal were, like, almost hospital balls are almost not quite there, but I think North Carolina aren't able to get to them. And then obviously for the goal itself, Addison Merrick at the back post is just completely unaware that she has lost Morgan Weaver, who is effectively goal side. And now when that ball comes in, I think Merrick, either because she thinks maybe, oh, I'm holding the offside line, not realizing uh, that Rocky Rodriguez has gotten to the end line, or just because she's focused on the ball and not focused on her mark, has let that attacker get goal side, can't make up that ground without definitely conceding a penalty, probably going to be a red card so in the end it just ends up a goal and it's great work from Morgan Weaver but it is North Carolina I think just being a little bit slower maybe a little bit frustrated and not as sharp as we've seen uh, in the earlier stages so here's what I think happens with Merrick because I I took a good look at this and Mm -hmm. was trying to figure out why because she's kind of in the correct defensive position right up until the few seconds before uh, Rocky Rodriguez Um, I think she she basically nutmegs um, whoever is defending her Mm -hmm. down the outside right I want to say it's O'Sullivan um, yeah, it is. So it's O'Sullivan that she dribbles at, and then uh, she crosses it through her legs, mm-hmm. right? So she puts it through her legs. I think Merrick has kind of thought this is going nowhere. O'Sullivan's got this covered, right? Mm-hmm. She's forced Rodriguez to the end line, and she's covered the the ball across. And I think Merrick doesn't so much switch off as just thinks, "Oh, we're good." Right. This is this is going to be okay. I mean, uh, I guess uh, to me that is the definition of switching off. I guess I'm it not is, trying yeah. to be like argumentative, but like no, that's kind of what I mean. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, I'll, I will. I'll go with you on that. To, I <laughs> guess to me, switching off meant just that she um, lost concentration for yeah. a second. But I guess that's exactly the same thing, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think. I think because you're assuming right, that, that nothing I, bad can happen is switching off. I suppose. Which I th- which is like. Like I'm, I'm not saying it lets her off the hook, but I'm saying you understand why, though, because Rod- Rodriguez has sort of taken it to the end line. It does feel a little bit like it's sort of like, oh, this is not quite the way I wanted it to go. I thought I'd have a little more space. Yeah. I'm just sort of to- closed it down, right? Right. I'm just going to play this across and, and maybe get a corner out of it. Maybe it will go through. You never know. But I think, yeah, it's O'Sullivan trying to make up that ground because there's space in the box. And I think she's not quite as quick to it as Rodriguez. Not to say that she's five yards behind, but she's a couple steps behind. And I think in her over pursuit, that's where she opens up a bit more and allows that Meg to happen. And so it's rookie versus rookie, right? Mm-hmm. At the edge of the six yard box. It is Merrick versus Weaver. And I think you, you basically saw who was the... The most switched on, I guess, yeah. was Morgan Weaver because she yeah. gets there and she makes it 1-0. And it's really a famous goal now, right? Because this yeah. is a famous win for the Portland Thorns. No matter what happens next in this tournament, North Carolina Courage was so unbeatable for so long that this Portland Thorns 11 that went out, um, and plus subs, obviously, and beat this North Carolina Courage team, it's the felling of a giant. And it makes yeah. me... 
really interested um, in the narrative of it, essentially, because it's a thing we don't really have in Major League Soccer, for example, no. is having this one unbeatable team that no mm-hmm. one can take down. And it does become really like a big story when someone does take them down. I mean, and, and, and doubling down on that, like you already mentioned that France was out for this tournament. Uh, then Bixby, her replacement, is out, but it's also Becky Sauerbrunn getting injured. She's out for this round and has been out for a couple games. It's Tobin Heath not taking part. Uh, so, like, there are key performers in this squad that aren't there, and this is also, lest yeah. we forget, a Portland team that fully expected to be able to bring in international caliber players and were sort of in the middle of their roster build when the shutdown happens <laughs> and are basically a team that are still in the middle of their roster build, except now they're playing in a knockout round of a tournament and winning. And I think that makes it all the more of a, a very impressive and compelling underdog story. So is this about a depth of talent in NWSL, like in a positive way? Or is it about just this Portland Thorned team coming together? Because you mentioned, for example, Heath not there, Cyber mm-hmm. not there. We've also got Lindsay Horan has to leave the game, right? In yep. the 51st minute because mm-hmm. um, she's injured. And we had um, the right back, I think it's Reynolds. Mm. Um, she has to leave the game in the first half after a clash of heads. She's replaced by Westphal at right back. And then to me, it's really notable that the build up to this goal, before it gets to Rocky Rodriguez, the two players that are like, really making things happen down the right hand side are Bure, who has mm. uh, replaced Lindsay Horan, and Westphal, who has replaced uh, Reynolds, right? So yeah. it's the two subs coming in um, in an already thin team uh, mm. who, who really make something happen. Yeah, and there is, like, I think this is a good example with that in mind of just how knockout competitions are just fundamentally different. It's why people love playoffs, because you do have just different levels of energy and enthusiasm where if you're playing a, we play X number of games, and at the end you have a champion the way you do in the Premier League, uh, which, you know, obviously is a system I enjoy. It is the case, though, that once you start having those injuries, I think it can feel more like, yeah, we're probably going to lose a few. We don't know if we have the depth to kind of go really, really far. Whereas if you've got to win this one game that's in front of you, I think that's an easier thing to motivate for as opposed to, we need you replacement right back to play the next eight games and if we only lose a couple of them, then we're going to be like, it's just a much more difficult challenge, much less immediate, I think. And I think that probably also explains it a bit as well. But I also saw the argument that if you look at Portland's third choice keeper having a game like this, and if you look mm-hmm. at the talent that uh, Borel and I actually don't know how to pronounce her name correctly. Sorry, I've gone two different ways, Borel and Borel, uh, Borel um, and, and Mepham, the, the replacement mm-hmm. right back. Maybe it's an argument that the NWSL really needs to expand because there's too much talent on <laughs> too few rosters. Well, Louisville's coming, man. So we got one more coming. Yeah, but we need more, right? We need more, more places for these players to play. I mean, I think we, you could, what, what if we'd never ever seen Bruce Ekstrom in, in action? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you could probably expand that to the global uh, stage when it comes to women's soccer, that maybe there need to be more leagues with more competitiveness, with more options for people who want to continue to play. Yeah, yeah I think right. that's a fair argument to make. But we don't want any more games like Houston Dash versus Utah Royals. Uh, we don't. I mean, I, I think a lot. I think we might be in the minority on this one, though. That's the interesting thing because though oh, it finishes, really? yeah, though it finishes uh, goalless, it goes to penalties. Uh, I have things to say about those penalties, by the way. Uh, I think it was the, the sort of physicality and the drama of that physicality. I think did appeal. I think some people got into how feisty oh. it was, how chippy it was at times. So uh, I found it. I, I found not. it really, really hard to watch. Yeah, Agreed. I found it really difficult to watch because it felt like the game kept stopping every few yep. seconds for a foul. It felt mm-hmm. like the soccer was very sloppy and choppy and fouly. Yep. And there just wasn't, to me, there wasn't much to enjoy or appreciate. Right? I Even though I know the there are downside. high quality. Yeah. Yeah, there are high quality players on both these teams and no one really got the opportunity to play is how I saw this game. Yeah, sorry, I was I was interrupting you. I was just going to say, whereas like the last game I was saying was the sort of the great thing about playoffs is you can kind of raise your game. There is also that other argument of, but with the awareness that you can be eliminated, it can also lead to cynicism and a little bit more of a defensive approach, especially as it looks (laughs) more and more like they're going to penalties. Um, so Houston Dash go through on penalties in yep. the end. And like, like you said, you've got things to say about the penalties. Mm. Do you blame one team more than the other for the like choppy, fighty approach to this game? No, I don't think so. I mean, I feel like I saw Houston doing more of the professional fouling. The Christy Mewis one is the one that stands out after they have the free kick that should have been a penalty, but we can talk about that later. Uh, just the sort of like very obvious, nope, I'm pulling you down and like, and maybe kicking you a little bit uh, to make sure this doesn't happen. Uh, like that stands out to me, but I think for the most part, it becomes a, uh, 
I, like a never-ending cycle. It's the revenge thing of like once you foul, then you foul, then you foul, and it's tough to say that one did it worse than the other. Oh, I think and Houston, I, and I, think Houston and would I argue. for an eye makes the whole game blind. Exactly. Houston would certainly argue that they were more hard done by the physicality of the game. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's just the still image of Amy Rodriguez uh, like making contact with the ground with her face first. I've seen that still image, and that was enough for me to be like, that would hurt a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess that didn't, was not an enjoyable moment for her. How much blame goes to referee Daniel Chesky? A decent amount, I think. Yeah? You think she like, basically let this devolve? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a fine line that you have to balance between like handing out a yellow card in the very beginning because you're trying to like like stamp your authority on that game and only handing out yellows late and then handing in too many of them out when you're trying to kind of get control of the game and i think you've got to find that balance and i and i don't think she did i do think she maybe is a little bit thrown off by that uh penalty that was not given uh i do think there's something to be said for if you make a decision that you think might be wrong or later it does like prove out prove to be wrong as is the case here in my opinion uh, I think it can stick with you and I think it can cloud you a little bit and maybe you're just sort of like I'm still not sure about that one like I want to let play go on I want to make something happen like not saying that then she was trying to look for makeup calls or anything like that just that I don't think that she had the command of this game that you want to see I think I also don't feel like she does enough communicating from what I could hear and from the moments I could see her communicating. Like, I think that is an underrated skill that we don't often talk about with officials of how often they're having conversations without it being obvious, without it being face to face. Like uh, we know some from friends of ours who officiate that there will be a lot of like, as you're sort of backing up for the goal kick to occur, you're sort of backing up in the same speed as maybe the central midfielder. Who's also backing up to like, try to head that clear. And on the way you're being like, Hey, I'm watching you. Don't do that again. Like there's just that little bit of policing that I think can be necessary i hesitate to say policing but you know what i mean yeah like good policing <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah um so you think maybe so chesky's basically not a good communicator at least based on the evidence of uh, of this game i mean um, th- i mean that might be harsh to say about like we've seen her referee uh richmond kickers games before and i like uh, yeah i, yeah, I, I guess rem- that's sorry that was like the mm-hmm. um uh the between the lines text here right is that we have seen daniel yeah. chesky referee mm-hmm. a lot of games um, yes. here for the, for the richmond kickers and i've seen a lot of players get very frustrated and i've seen a lot of weird uh, i've seen actually a similar thing to what happened in this game where like there's, there's no cards and then suddenly there's loads of cards mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i and i think maybe that that is like a thing that we've seen before so maybe it, it is a, a commonality but i think in this case i would have liked to see maybe just a little bit more control early so you get more actual gameplay because i'm with you that as soon as as soon as you have stoppage and then a stoppage and then a stoppage it's always telling to me when i go back and rewatch. and if i'm like oh there's a stoppage okay i'll fast forward oh it's still stopped oh i'll fast <laughs> yeah, forward yeah. there's oh it stopped again like if you keep fast forwarding at like every 15 or 30 seconds and you're still not getting much actual gameplay that sort of tells you the type of game it was so let's talk about that um weird penalty non-penalty sure. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a free kick that was given, but then only a yellow card given, not a red card, when we th- probably think it should have been denial of goal-scoring opportunity, right? Yeah. This is the mm-hmm. seventh or eighth minute. Can you please talk me through exactly what happened? Sure. Uh, it is a great ball from Nichelle Prince. It's over the top for Brianna Vasali. Uh, she is, like, she times her run really, really well, so she is in on goal, 1v1 with Abby Smith, uh, the goalkeeper. Abby Smith does make contact. I watched this at least 20 times because it's really easy to miss the contact and it does look like Vasali just kind of throws herself to the ground. Um, watching again, if you freeze frame it, it's 17 yards from goal. It's inside the box and Smith definitely steps on Vasali's left foot. And again, as we've talked about uh, many times, if you're running at full speed and there's even a little bit of contact, that can send you sprawling. Yeah. Certainly if your plant foot as you're running at full speed gets stuck to the ground by someone else's foot, even if it's for a half second, it is also going to send you sprawling. So to me, right there it is even if she didn't mean to even if she's just trying to come out to claim that ball if you haven't gotten the ball but you have stepped on the player and you have therefore stopped that player from scoring that is essentially me going out of my way to not use the words denial of a goal scoring opportunity but that is exactly what it is so you think it was inside the box right it, yes absolutely like it's definitely inside the box so in that case it should be a penalty kick mm-hmm. and then no red because there's no double jeopardy right so right. It's, it should be a yellow card and a penalty kick right mm-hmm. If it's given outside the box, which it was, right? It was given as a free kick outside the box. Then fine, right? We can disagree about where the line is. But then it's definitely a denial of goal-scoring opportunity and definitely a red card. So This is the conundrum. Mm-hmm. Abby Smith like got really, really lucky here then, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, I, I, that's the only thing I can say uh, is that like the only other thing which I don't think is the case. Like this happened to me once when I was playing goal, and I think it's because it was like in a lower division of soccer, and the ref was like, "Look, I know you didn't mean to do that, and I could send you off, but like I'm gonna let it slide." But you know what you did? I doubt that's what Daniel Chesky was no, doing here. That's that was not how hesitation. the NWSL Challenge Cup works, right? Exactly. And so that aside, it's just a missed call, and it's and I think there were questions about the AR. The AR, I believe, had had the flag in the air in the lead up to this so what was that call about that suddenly that was waved off and that didn't matter i think there was maybe some speculation that uh, he had his i think it was i think yeah he had his hand in the air for maybe offside but then put it down really quickly and like that is confusing uh there were questions submitted by i believe nwsl media to pro about this decision professional referee organization Thank you. Uh, the crew declined to answer those, or at least as far as I understand at time of recording, has still not answered those questions. So I don't really know what happened. But more often than not, like, I tend to be a little bit more emotional about things like VAR. Very often when we go back and kind of actually break this stuff down, Daryl's approach is correct, which is that, like, no, there's a rational explanation. This is how the rules are written. You might disagree, but those are the rules. Here I have a very difficult time understanding what happened. Uh, so I guess I, that does make me then feel better that Houston do end up advancing. So at least there's that. Yeah, okay. And they do end up advancing on mm. penalty kicks, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And with all due respect to the penalty kick takers, these were not the best penalty kicks I've ever seen. No, they, I, I think it's it's uh, a double thing here. Number one, no, I agree with you. I think the pressure was very much evident. I think maybe the tired legs were also evident. Yeah. But I do think a lot elevation of the players, as well. I kept seeing the thing, the little sign behind mm-hmm. the goal that says elevation four hundred four thousand seven hundred twenty five feet. I was going to say I was like four hundred is not that much, Daryl. It's four thousand <laughs> slightly different. Um, but I think a lot of the players on both sides went for placement over power. Yeah. And then I think what was a commonality is in a lot of the ones that were missed or saved, the placement itself wasn't good enough to justify that decision. Yeah. I will say, Jane Campbell, uh, I did my usual penalty breakdown. She gets right every single time. Oh, so okay. though she, I think she saves two uh, and uh, gets a hand to one, but it goes in. But on the other ones, uh, it, 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 she doesn't save Amy Rodriguez as Amy misses it. But yeah, I was going to say, Amy she, Rodriguez did not go yeah, for placement over not. power. She went yeah. for power over control, right? She, yeah. she held the shoot button down on FIFA way, way, way too long is what exactly. happened there. Yeah, she did. So, I, yes, okay. So Campbell saves two, Rodriguez misses one, and Campbell gets a hand to the other and then guesses right on one that does go in. But even the one that Rodriguez hits on the bar, she almost gets a hand to it, guesses correctly. So there's a reason why Jane Campbell, I think the commentator was saying she had saved nine of 13 penalties. Yeah. Uh, th- that she comes out of this one with that number being 12 of 18 is a decent decent <laughs> uh, return on the investment there. Well done uh, to her for that. Uh, and yeah, I think like she was certainly helped by some of the lack of power. Uh, I think one of them she catches, which is sort of insulting, but also, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a good move if you're a goalkeeper. There were some good penalties as well, though, right? Who, mm-hmm. who took the best um, out of the 10? Uh, I loved uh, Ciara Kings. Uh, I thought her yes. like, in, in a critical moment where if she misses, they're done. She basically just kind of picks her spot, puts it uh, like very low into the side netting. That's yeah. a great penalty. Placement the plus other- power, right? Well done, yeah. King. Um, so just to um, quick sidetrack, did we see King get drafted? Yeah, yeah, did. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, we did indeed. She was yeah top five, I believe. Uh, we, we saw her. We saw uh, La Bonta. I uh, apologize. I cannot pronounce her name properly uh but she also had one it's my favorite type of penalty where there is oh no excuse me it's sophie schmidt sophie schmidt had my favorite one yes uh, so where you don't there's like very very minimal run-up it's just it's like one step and you hit it uh but you pick your spot you know where you're going you do not second guess it and then you just don't give the goalkeeper time to read your run-up yep. and i think it's telling that she is the one that absolutely buries her penalty uh because she i think just kind of knows exactly where she wants to go and hits it and doesn't give the goalkeeper time to read it so well done to sophie schmidt yeah no it was nice and uh simple and decisive mm-hmm. and technically perfect right yes mm-hmm. yeah uh oh. yeah rachel rachel daly's uh left a little bit to, to be desired but i think that was the most she, confusing like, one because it ended yeah, up going exactly. in as well right it felt it like was. a terrible penalty that went in yep. because it looked not very well placed and then also not with a lot of power behind it and yet even with a hand to it it still goes in so i guess if it goes in it doesn't really matter that's all you remember is that you scored but that was probably <laughs> one where she almost uh like 
collapsed to the ground and then ended up being able to celebrate. <laughs> well, congrats to the Houston Dash because they go through to the semifinals. Congrats to the Portland Thorns because they go through to the semifinals. Um, we, you mentioned earlier, right? Spirit and Sky Blue FC have already played. Mm-hmm. Sky Blue FC went through. We'll be analysing that game uh, on tomorrow's Total Soccer Show. Um, by then as well, we will have the Rain versus Chicago Red Stars game will have happened. So both those games will be uh, sort of looked at on tomorrow's mm-hmm. show. I look forward to it. I do too. Do we know how the semifinals <laughs> work? Is there another draw or is there a bracket? I think there's a bracket. I'm not I'm not sure off the top of my head. I'm I looking apologize. at the NWSL website right now on my iPad and mm-hmm. we have TBA versus TBA versus TBA versus TBA. So either the website doesn't have the bracket or there isn't a bracket yet. Well, we'll know we'll know more tomorrow, right? No, that's that's the secondary cup competition, which all the teams are named TBA. <laughs> you didn't know that? <laughs> I did not. I did not. Get it together, Grove. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> all right, so we've done the FA Cup. We've done we the have. NWSL quarterfinals, and we'll mm-hmm. do exactly the same again tomorrow. And we talked uh, a tiny bit of Bielsa. We won't do that tomorrow, but I was excited to get to talk about him today. We won't, but people have been asking, can you sort of profile Leeds and what's happened this season? I think oh, we'll do that. More likely is we'll do a sort of preview of Leeds for next year's Premier League season, right? Oh, I would do that. You would? Okay. All right, let's do it then. All right. Sounds mm. good to me. <laughs> all right. I look forward to hearing you do that. No, I, I'd be, I would be interested to watch a lot more of Leeds and get a good feel for exactly what was going on. Like I've got a basic feel of this and that, but um, I, I think I think I could do some more Leeds watching and I think it would be a pleasure. It's the only soccer song my wife knows. I'm looking forward to hearing her sing it next season. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, yeah. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. <laughs> Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we will be back again tomorrow to talk about exactly the same things, but with six different teams.